The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Hi, everybody. It's, uh, I'm really glad to be back, and I got to start by letting you know that uh, Matt gave you a little, sold you a little bit of bill of goods there, because uh, the truth is that uh, I'm definitely uh, more famous because of who my sons are than vice versa, and uh, they have accomplished more in their life. Uh, already than I've accomplished at my age, and uh, that's true. But that's what we would all want as parents, right? (laughs) I mean, uh, that's the gist of what parenting is all about, that our kids would surpass us in the glory of God and the kingdom work they would do. And uh, that's basically what I'm here to talk about today. So um, I'm humbled to be here. As Matt said, last time I was here was New Year's Day, and now it's Father's Day, so maybe... Uh, Holidays are great for me at at Story City Church, but given my life uh, and my story, it's really a humbling thing to be able to preach at your son's church on this day where we celebrate Father. So thanks to Matt, Ty, and all of you that are Story City. It truly is a great church, and I pray for you almost every day. So let me pray. Lord, um, use me today that some would hear, all would hear whatever you have to say to them about fathers and families and our culture, and how we can, uh, as a church, make a bigger difference for your kingdom. That's why you left us here when you saved us, to, to do your work. And will we keep our priorities straight and have, have a great life, for the abundant life, uh, but also keep you in your proper place. Hallowed be thy name. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Um, Today, as we uh, look at Father's Day, let me do a quick poll. Um, How many of you here are fathers of of children? Good good job, good job. How many of you want to be fathers someday? You're young and you haven't... Okay, we don't have any young single guys. Oh, yeah, we got a couple. How many of you have fathers? All right, we got you tuned in. Okay, well, here's the gist of uh, that question. We have to begin today by recognizing that fathers are very, very important in our lives. And uh, I often say that uh, father is the most powerful word in the English language. Now, I mean, no disrespect to women or mothers, truly, you're equal in value. I just think fathers might be one millimeter higher in God's kingdom because he calls himself a father rather than a mother. But, But... Either way, have you ever noticed how on Mother's Day you come to church and it's like all flowery, we hand out chocolates and flowers and speak about how wonderful and fantastic mothers are, which we should, but on Father's Day it's always like, come to church and dads, you really stink at your job, you need to buck up and do a better job. And that is weird, you ever notice that? I mean, today I hope to not do that to you, I hope that all of us will receive the word as an encouragement for a way to produce godly families, godly children, as we are either adult parents or growing into that role as we most long to do. So um, fathers are the training ground for our lives. That, that, uh, mothers too, but who our parents are will develop us into who we become, especially early in our life. So how our parents behave, if they're, if they're godly and good parents, then we grow up healthy and well and probably following that path in our life. If, if they're a little sideways, then the, however they're sideways impacts us. It sticks with us. And so that's why I think fathers are, father is the most powerful word in the English language. And as I said already, I mean, I, I don't know why God 
chose to use the word father to describe himself. Uh, oh, what manner of love the fathers lavished on us that we would be called children of God. That is what we are. But he did, and, and father is obviously an important word because he says it is. So to begin with, I want to try a quick interaction time, a little poll taking here, because I want to start by uh, recognizing our culture has changed dramatically in my lifetime. Just in the last few decades, our culture has changed in the way we uh, parent children and how our families are raised. And I'm old, uh, I'm 65, so I've got about 60 years of memory in my brain, and one thing I can tell you is that our culture has changed, and hopefully we can get some affirmation here if there's anybody as old as me in the room, there might not be. But So what I want to ask is, is I ask, I've written down some things that I did as a child that most kids nowadays are never going to do, probably. And so if you've done these things, just show your hands as I ask the question. And if you haven't, just say, yes, you're very old, and I'm thankful I'm young, so uh, keep going. So let's start with this one. Who, like me, ever walked to school in their life? Yeah, good, some of you did that. How about in first grade? Yeah, I did that every day in first grade. I did that. So times have changed. No one does that much anymore. So how about uh, how many of you ever dove in off a high dive? Many of you are going, what's a high dive? Way too dangerous. That's, uh, we don't have those anymore. How many of you went outside to play without your cell phone? Now, there's a lot of us that did that. But how many of you went outside to play with no cell phone and the only rule your parents gave you was be home before dark? Yeah, some of us. Times have changed, haven't they? Um, here's, a, here's one. How many of you rode in the back of a pickup? Yeah. How many of you rode in the back of a pickup going down the freeway? Yeah, I did that. How many of you rode in the back of a pickup going down the freeway sitting on the side of the pickup? Yeah, yeah. We've done that. Yep. Uh, kids are not going to get to do that in this day and age. Um, how about sitting in the front seat with no seatbelts? I mean, yeah, I remember those days. What were our seatbelts back in those days? Boom, exactly. Our, our mother's right arm. And, and I don't know, I, I got evidence that it's stronger than nylon because I never got hurt and it stopped me like a, a ton of bricks every time she threw that out. And lastly, uh, I was told don't cross certain busy streets. So very young, I discovered there were sewer pipes going underneath the street. So I would crawl through these pipes and come out on the other side, and I didn't go across the street, Mom and Dad. They, and they never asked me why I came home kind of wet, because I often did. Um, and also discovered that those sewer pipes went everywhere in my neighborhood, so I could crawl through the pipes with my friends and come up through the manholes. Anybody do that? I'm the only weird one. Oh, somebody. Okay. Times have changed. Today we live in a different world. I remember when there were real playgrounds with merry-grounds and the swings that I could compete with the other kids, seeing how far I could jump and out-jump them or say, yeah, I went higher than you. And today, competition seems to be fading. In fact, we're eliminating red pens from the teacher's hands because we don't want uh, anyone's feelings to be hurt. And I actually come from a time when you had to win at something to get a trophy or be good at something to get a trophy. Times have changed. So what is happening today? What's my point here? I believe as we protect our kids from failing, um, and I'm pleased, I'm not telling you to let your kids crawl through a drainage pipe or jump off a roof like I used to do, but I do think there's a middle ground, common sense road between jumping off rooks, pretending you're Superman, 
and putting protective gear on your kids before they go out and check the mailbox. So this is important because there are unintended consequences that I've, I'm seeing in, in our world. Now remember, I'm a counselor for a living ministry, and so people don't come to counseling on winning streaks, let's just be honest. So, so I may get a slightly warped point of view about some of this stuff, but I really believe what I'm saying is important for us as parents and families to recognize so that we can, be, we can overcome the world and not let us impact us for the worse of our children. So um, here's just an example of the extremes I'm talking about. Now, I Googled, I think, uh, ways we're protecting our kids or dangerous things, but this site came up. It was the first one I got, and I thought it was pretty funny. I also thought it was pretty revealing about what I'm talking about. Now, these were adults. These are adults in, at Penn State University, but the university decided in April of this year that the outside club could never go outside anymore. You can't make this stuff up. Why did they make that decision? Because it's too dangerous for them to do so. And they determined at the head level, and by the way, there's never been a history of any injuries in this club, um, that it was too dangerous because this club was going into remote areas where there was no cell phone connections. And so it was dangerous. Now, we're getting that absurd in our culture, and, but it's making a point of where we seem to be going. And this article notes that these were adults, and we all, they believed, as I believe, that these adults are capable of going in remote places without injuring themselves or killing themselves. So what is it doing to kids? Well, slowly but surely, kids are growing up more afraid. They're growing up staying children because we're protecting them and they don't grow up. And it means that when they leave university, they're at least going to be molded in this way that they actually think less is expected of them than when I was a kid at their age. And that's important for us to consider today as we look at Father's Day and parenting as a family. And I believe, scripturally, to live by faith is to take risks and to succeed and fail. And the, the scriptures tell us much about that. In fact, just one example is, is how in the world did a young boy of probably 16, who'd already killed a bear, and his name was David, march out into a field against a nine-foot giant with a slingshot? And what's the gist of that story? How did he do it? We know if the story is faith. He had to have faith in his God to be that brave and courageous, but he also had the opportunity to do it. Because nobody was standing in the way saying, we got to protect you, David. Now, they tried in the beginning, but he said, no way, I'm going. And we have to, as a culture, have to begin to live, allow our kids to live by faith, in my opinion. Do you know, and I pastor this all the time, it, it's absolutely stunning to me how many calls I get. And it's never the kids who call me, it's always the parents. But we have kids who are afraid to leave their parents' house, can't get a job, and they're living at home in their 30s and 40s. I meet them very often. And you probably heard, I mean, it's making national news, a guy in, in New York last week who had to, his parents had to sue him. And he's 30 years old. They had to sue him, get out of the house because he won't leave. Um, that's the culture and the direction we see that we're heading. And I think we have to do better. So today I want to speak to us and share a word of encouragement, hopefully, and show three important simple things we all can do that can produce prosperous and successful children rather than feel fearful, held back, uh, uh, unsuccessful children. And 
I believe with all my heart, I don't know if you think much about where you live, but I've traveled all over the world, and I think you in Burbank, California, are in the crosshairs of this cultural battle in every way, shape, and form right here. And it's really an important message I'm humbled to bring. Hopefully it will bear influence. I want to use Psalm 1. I think it's a perfect word for us today uh, on Father's Day. If you want to raise prosperous and successful children, this might be a good verse. And it, I read 1 through 3 in verse 6. Blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates both day and night. What will happen? He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Now, many, many versions say whatever he does succeeds. So the, so the word prosperity and success can be very much tied in here. So how can we raise our kids so that the next generation prospers and succeeds in everything we do in a culture that we're seeing less and less kids live brave, risk-taking, effective lives? Well, we've got to define prosperity and success. Make no mistake. What the world is selling to us as a church is not what God means prosperity and success is. And in my research, this is just mine, in the families I have counseled and see and read and interact with, I found that most parents in today's middle-class world, much like Story City Church as I see it, see that it's their job to raise well-educated, wealthy, and happy children. Those seem to be the things where they talk about the most, drive the most, pay most attention to as a family. Now, they might not admit it, but I counsel them and I see them pursuing well-educated, wealthy, happy children. That's what their motives are if you look at their actions. And now these aren't bad things. Uh, let me speak truth. The scriptures scripture say, train up a child in the way he should go, and in the end he will not depart from it. We all probably know that proverb. And it's important to note the word way there in Hebrew. It means bent. Train them up in the way they are made, how God made them what they're good at, not what you want them to be, which is a problem for a lot of us parents. I wanted, my dad wanted me to be a sports guy. I wanted Ty to be a sports guy. Ty wasn't made to be a sports guy. He's a musician. Uh, and I heard him probably that way. But the bent, obviously, that we most apply to that scripture is the bent towards God because we all have a God-sized hole in our heart and we have a bent towards God. So train them up in the way they should go, how they're made and how they're pursuing God. And in the end, they will not be uh, depart from it. So I want you to know that before Jesus entered my life at 42, I was an atheistic, agnostic, drug addict until I was 38, came to Christ at 42, and everything began to change dramatically for me. And what I'm teaching you here is what has changed my life and my family. And uh, I can tell you that uh, well-educated, wealthy, happy kids would have been three of the motives I had before Jesus. I would have been okay with that, but I can guarantee you if I had stayed that course, you would not see this young man up here writing songs, singing worship, or married to the woman he is today if that had been my continued drive in my home. That's really important for all of us to recognize as we look at our family. Education's important for sure, needs to be, but it also has to be spiritual knowledge, not just head knowledge, because the world is preaching head knowledge that says, our heart knowledge is stupid and irrelevant. 
And so at home, we better pay attention to the spiritual training more than the head training to me. Is that the way our homes operate? Or do we drive school and grades and, and head knowledge more than we drive the heart knowledge of who Christ is in our families? Next, wealth. I certainly hope my kids have the money to live good lives, but it's completely unimportant to me if they aren't following Jesus. That is a different priority I have than I used to have. Uh, in fact, wealth, I, I taught my kids, I know one of the things I told them all the time is, is you don't want wealth if you don't have the character to handle it. That is, it, it, it's better for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You, wealth will destroy you if you can't handle wealth. Yet, that's what I see families pursuing as their culture. And lastly, happiness is possibly the single biggest idol of our whole culture. And of course, I want my children to be happy, but I know worldly happiness is a fraud. It, it's impossible to be happy by the world standards. You're always going to be left wanting for more, and you'll always be feeling unfulfilled if you're pursuing happiness. If you pursue Jesus, you get love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, and then you will be blessed or happy, as the scriptures say. But we have to put Jesus first. So verse 1, blessed, which is the Hebrew word barak, which actually means happy, so happy is my child if he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And dads and parents, we are our children's counsel. Our sins are passed down to the third and fourth generation, but our godly behaviors are passed down to a thousand generations. So I think we should prioritize on those and pay attention to, uh, uh, to live under God's grace and mercy and transformation in the, in the former. So here's my... Uh, Here's my definition of success. I think you should write this down if you're taking notes, but that's on you. I believe it's our roles as dads and moms to release into the world, not hold on to, biblically-based, Christ-centered, biblically-based world influencers. I don't know what that means to you, but Christ-centered, biblically-based world influencers, not well-educated, wealthy, happy kids. Let me repeat that. Christ-centered, biblically-based world influencers. Consider what you model in your home and what you're seeking for your kids. I've done 65 years of research, 60, um, and on my own life and thousands of others, and I see people's actions and choices driving the former, not the latter. And this is among Christians. I see in my sphere of influence that the world is making a much greater difference in the church than the church is making in the world. And I want to see Story City, my family, make a change on that. And I don't think there's a better goal that you can make than to raise your kids up to be Christ-centered, biblically-based world influencers. Now, if you don't like that, come up with your own mission. Have a mission. Know what you're driving and drive it in your home. But if you don't have one, pick that up and use it because it's worked in my family. So um, in this day and age, the world needs you. Burbank, California needs you. And we've got to think like this or the world takes us sideways. So, here's my, uh, let's take a, uh, my word today is modeling, okay? So, you realize that what we expose our kids to as parents is who they will become. So, my question in today's vernacular is, what are you modeling in your home? What you model, they will become. So, here's my one point. Every dad and mother 
can produce prosperous, successful children by modeling these three things. It's really quite simple. The first simple thing, and it's what I've already shared, is that the proper times may not be, this is the most difficult point, I gotta be honest, but, but it's not that hard if you start realizing it and thinking it and then fighting the battle, praying, making good choices, that at the proper times and in the proper ways, you release your kids and allow them to take risks and to actually fail. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says there's a time and a place for everything under heaven. And then it goes into an, a, a bunch of opposite uh, uh, terms, both good and bad. And it says there's a time to be born and a time to die, good and bad. Time to tear down, time to build up. Time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance. And what I see is we see, we see parents holding on to their kids and trying to protect them from the negative things of life. Now, you don't purposely force them into it, but you don't overprotect them. And we can't protect them from what God says there's a time for under heaven. And what does he say these are for? Well, they grow up. C.S. Lewis said pain is God's megaphone. And I've learned a whole lot more from my life's mistakes than I have from my successes. I hope you consider that in your life. And John Maxwell, in his great book on, the topic, topic, on this topic titled Failing Forward, one of my favorite books, he sums up this truth in chapter one, as authors often do, by saying the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception of and response to failure. Jam Barry put it even more simply when he said we're all failures, at least all the best of us are. So failure grows us. And God says we rejoice in our suffering because we know suffering produces perseverance. That's growing up, persevering through the trials. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? One of my, my scriptures that reminds me to persevere in trials because perseverance develops our character. We become adults healthy people, world influencers, because we know how to fail without running and shutting down. And we become, and that gives us hope. And what's the hope that does not disappoint? Our hope that God's real, that he's going to carry us through all of this and work all things together for good through our faith, because we know how to suffer well. So um, what do you model for your kids? Do you model overprotection and keeping them super safe? Or do you model the freedom to risk, to fear, to hurt, and to, and to fail without punishment, without ridicule, without making them feel like that's not a part of life? It's my belief that we as a church have to be wiser than the world. We have to be, especially in this day and age. So why are we so afraid? Let me just get through this here. It's not much information, but it's important. Why are we, we live today in the safest culture in the history of mankind. Don't know if you know that, but every study, any common sense says that. But we're also the most fearful people that have ever lived. Now, why? Studies show that as well, by the way. So why is that oxymoron, that, that enigma happening in our culture? Well, I believe it's this, and I think we've got to be wise as serpent and innocent as doves around this. Studies show that 90% of the information we take in, audibly, visually, and, 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 and around us, is bad news. <laughs> and it either stimulates fear, obviously, or it's actually driven by the motive to profit from you because you are afraid. We read of wars and volcanoes and earthquakes and hurricanes and rapes and robberies and riots, and it's all bad news. And it's all bad news that's real. It's just over-reported and over-sensationalized. 
But beyond this, we need to be aware, in my opinion, that many, many, many things, especially on the Internet, people are trying to make money off of you. And if they make you afraid, they can sell you a product or an idea that makes, either makes them famous or makes them money. So everybody seems to be doing that. In our homes, after 65 years of life, I beg my kids, my family, be cautious about these things because the demons have been peddling fear from the moment of creation. And, and fear sells to us our souls, and fear, what does it do? It paralyzes, it steals, it kills, it destroys. And that's why at least 365 times in the NIV, God says, fear not, do not be afraid, trust in me, instead of all the fears of the, your, the world you're talking about. So I've lived long enough, and I, I mean, you don't know me, but I hope you consider me trustworthy. I'm, I'm wanting to sell what I think is important to you today. I've watched fear merchants impact my life. I've watched them sell for 60 years, and I found most of them as frauds. And in my lifetime, many of the things I used to fear have been proven false over time. So just be aware and cautious about the things that you're buying that are being driven by fear. So... Today, as dads, we have to realize our kids are being exposed to the world and all its fears so early and so fast that we have to counterbalance it at some level. We have to handle it with emotional maturity so that we filter it out so they aren't just growing up afraid all the time. And we can't be an enabler to it in our homes. Allow your kids to fear and to risk and to fail. You'll never regret it. So let me turn to the spiritual side of my final two points, because all this fear, if it's got a good side, it drives us to our knees and to God. And that's where the answers, of course, are found. So what can we do in two simple modes to produce prosperous and successful children? And Psalm 1, verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates both day and night. So we can model the knowledge of God's word and prayer in our families. Make no mistake, religion is empty and unattractive to the human spirit, but grace and loving relationships attract the human spirit. So if I want my kids to be in God's word and pray, I don't demand it of them. I don't force it upon them. I model it for them. And I model being in the word and having a personal relationship through prayer throughout our family. And if we try to force them into it, they're going to rebel against it and they are going to run to the world. So... I hope that makes sense. People often ask me, how did your kids turn out so well? Especially your background. Why did they not become like you? And I don't know any reasons except God and the three things I'm sharing with you today. That's why I'm sharing it on this Father's Day. So how did it happen that they're both Christ-centered, biblically-based world influencers rather than pursuing wealth and education and happiness or whatever the world's selling? Well, my family can attest, and I'm no special guy. I'm not sitting here saying I am. I still am not, believe me. That's why I need to do these things on a daily basis. When my kids got up from the littlest of age, once I came to know Christ, I was reading the Bible when they walked out of their bedrooms. It was the rhythm of our family. 
and slowly but surely they learned to read their Bibles when they got up. We prayed as a family. So when they grew up, they prayed as people. And in their families, they now are passing that down to future generations. It was part of our family rhythm. And I know you might say, forgive me, I don't want to sound like I'm on a pedestal because I'm not. Well, you're a pastor. You're paid to be in the Word. I did this, I promise you, before pastor was ever in my mindset that that would be my title. I did it because I longed for it for whatever reason. Maybe my life was so much more broken than you that when I came to Christ, I knew I needed it. But his word very, very quickly became the bread of life to me. It became the living water to me. And it wasn't all unselfish because I know without it, the, what, where I go and what I'm capable of. My life has crashed and burned, and I don't want to go back there. And how does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to his word. So I've always hungered for it for selfish reasons because I don't want to mess me and my life and my family up anymore. So let me just move on to the last point with this statement. There aren't many things any of us do by choice every single day. We wake up, not even a choice hardly. We go to work, that's a choice. We eat, that's a choice. Let me add, I read the Bible. And it's because I hunger for it today. I know my family needs it. I know I need it. I hope you might consider it being a choice in your life. So finally, the last thing you need to model is his power and presence through his church. Again, model his power and presence that can only be found in his church, the very body of Christ, his bride. He built it so the gates of hell would not prevail against it. It is so important. There is no Christianity apart from the church. Anybody who says, I'm following Christ on my own because I don't like organized religion, is not following Christ. It's, how can you dislike his bride that he died for? And they're as messed up as churches are. We're all people. I've, I've worked with them for 22 years. I know the inner workings of a church. They're still the most valuable thing in my life. So think about this model. Paradigm shift, maybe, for some of us. In my family, we don't go to church. We are the church. Think about that. Is that the way your, your family models church? We're so broken in the Western world, I really believe that. And I just hope that you can begin to see you don't come to church for what you get. We live in a consumer culture. It's happening all over the world, but it's happening the most in America. We come to church to get something rather than to learn how to give away something. And it's got to start by church attendance. Um, how many of you train your child up in the way they should go, modeling other things as a higher priority than church? Saying things out loud to them like, do you want to go to church this weekend? The world is waiting to suck the very life out of your kids once they reach adolescence and adulthood. And this is the training ground for them to overcome the world. So, so many things we model are not optional. Think about this, okay? School. Do our kids get to not go to school? Do we suggest you want to go to school today? No, school exists, they go to school. Ask yourself, what other things in the world are we modeling that we don't miss? Swim practice? We get up at 5 a.m. every day to go to swim practice on cold mornings. That was my story. Piano lessons? We spent thousands of dollars on those. You're not going to miss piano lessons. Soccer? Baseball? You might get a college scholarship. You might be the next Clayton Kershaw or Ronaldo. We can't miss that. 
There are so many things we Americans allow to overrule church while never asking, what do we allow church to overrule? Do you realize that we're sending a soul-ringing lesson to our kids about what we value and what they should value when they become adults? People ask, how do my kids turn out so well? Again, all I'm doing is saying what happened in our family. As soon as I got saved, we didn't go to church. We became the church every Sunday. There wasn't a question. I was getting fed. Our family was changing. And as we went to church, we very quickly became the church. As we worshiped together, served together, grew together, gave together, and actually began to reach our neighbors and other peoples for Christ with the greatest news ever heard in human history. And as we did that, our story began to change. Our family changed. And today, both of my sons are Christ-centered, biblically-based world influencers Simply amazing to this man. How did it happen? Pretty simple, if you really think about it. And here's the great ending. Guess what? Remember education, wealth, and happiness? God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Because today, our entire family, well, everybody but me, is educated, college educated. They're smart, brain smarts. They're wealthy with everything we would ever need in our life today, and we're blessed, the biblical word for happiness. So we didn't have to prioritize that. We prioritize God, and all of that's added unto us. So, it, and here's my simple thing. I, I, I don't know who you see standing here on the stage. I don't know what you think about me, but I am probably a worse human being for most of my life than you are, and yet all of that's happened to me through these simple messages. So, three things. Model, risk, failure, and handling pain. Allow your kids to risk, fail, and hurt. And second, model God's word and prayer in your home. And finally, model that you are the church, that you don't just grow up to going to church. So, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. May that begin with you and filter through clearly to your children because the world is counseling them through the internet, TV, movies, public education, their friends. So it's more important than it's ever been in history that we provide the counsel through our lives in these areas. Or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the way, seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. How can this be true of our children if it's not true of us as dads and moms? Modeling daily time in the word and prayer, regular church involvement, then what will happen? Your, your children will be like trees planted by streams of water that bear their fruit in season. Their leaf will never wither. Whatever they do prospers, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. And you will see your entire family become Christ-centered, biblically-based world influencers, and that's what life is about. You'll never regret it. And Burbank and Story City Church need all of you to live this out. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Would, would this stick with people? Would they just look at their priorities and begin to put you in the center place of their life? Uh, and if they're doing it, Lord, would this be a great encouragement to them? And would they see the fruit? And if not, Lord, might they just look and have a family meeting, talk about their priorities and what they're, what they're driving as a home and a family, that their kids would grow up honoring you and living for you and knowing heaven awaits.
In Jesus' name, amen.